Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 281 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is Monday, August 12th, 2013. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. A little over one week of USC fall camp in the books. We're going to talk to Dan Weber later on the show and Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment about what they've seen during USC fall camp. Got some questions to get to as well. If you have any questions for us, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755, or go to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and you can leave us a voicemail right there from your computer. So without further ado, let's talk to uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, who was out there over the weekend looking at USC football practice. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Ryan, how are you, buddy? It's great to uh, have the season here. It's great to go out and talk to parents. It's great to get out there and talk to past players and relations, the relationships that we have in the media. It's just great to see uh, people out there, people standing up uh, on the, uh, whatever you call that, uh, platform out there where people are allowed to go to practice. And we should probably remind them that during camp, people are allowed to go up there on the, uh, what's that, the west side of the field and and go up there and watch practice. It actually is a good uh, viewing point for people to watch practice. And, uh, heck, what can I say? Uh, we're into it. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. We're uh, ready to get rolling here. And uh, he was talking about the uh, Dado Pavilion. Um, you know, Dado Field is the baseball field, and you can watch from up there. I'd much rather watch from up there, Coach, and get a bird's-eye view, but they make us sit in the sun there on the, <laughs> on the other side of the field, at the field level. Oh, I didn't know that. You mean if I went over there, I couldn't go over there? I don't think. I think it's just for uh, for fans. I don't think media is allowed to to go up there. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure, but that, I think we have to kind of stick. They try to keep everyone separate. They want recruits on one side, uh, parents and and media are on the same side, but they don't want parents and media talking to each other. And then fans are up on the pavilion, so they're trying to keep everybody separate. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I was going to form a huddle with some of the people over there, some of the parents of the offensive linemen. I went over and talked to Mr. Wittick. I said, uh, nice to meet you. And then the lineman said, uh, why don't you go over here and have him call a play and we'll break the huddle. I said, I'm the quarterback here. <laughs> so we have a lot of fun out there when we go out there and watch practice. And it's great to see parents out there supporting their kids and um, girlfriends and everything. It's just a great atmosphere right now when everybody's undefeated. Everyone is undefeated, and uh, we, you know, we got some questions to get to, Coach. But I wanted to maybe get your thoughts on, like, I guess the big question: the uh, the quarterback battle. I and mean, we'll start off with that, and then I'll get to some of these other questions and, and get some more of your thoughts on what you saw out there at, at practice. Well, I tell you what, I, I really uh, believe this. I really believe USC has three outstanding quarterbacks, and it is a very difficult situation as far as deciding who will be the starting quarterback. Uh, I think. Um, Max Brown is somewhat uh, in the mix, but he's been running with the scout squad. He's not getting the number of tur- uh, turns that, that Kessler and uh, Whitaker are getting. Uh, I tell you, it is, uh, it's great to see competition like this. I think competition brings, breeds success. It brings it out of you as a competitor, as a player. 
You have to learn to practice with pressure on you. You have to be able to make the right calls and make the right decisions and show your leadership as far as at that quarterback position. I think both those players are are demonstrating that. Uh, not Not to say Max isn't demonstrating that. He's demonstrating that, believe me. He's going to be a great football player, and he is already, but I think the other two have a little bit of experience on him and a little more know-how. But uh, I think it's a great battle, and I'm not ready to tell you who I think the quarterback uh, should be, but I'm going to get out there again today and go to the scrimmage on Thursday, be a practice Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where I can really get into it. And uh, then I'll be able to give you a better opinion. I'm not ready to form that opinion yet. All right. Um... How about any other observations you had from uh, from practice? Any, anything else that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, a couple of things really th- uh, stood out to me. And, and, Ryan, I don't know how much time you want me to take on these things, but I love seeing the offensive line on the sled. I don't know if I've ever seen them working the sled as much as uh, Coach Summers is having them hit the sled, drive the sled, move their feet. And, and it's great conditioning as well as, as being able to get off the football. If you don't get off the football as an offensive lineman, just doesn't happen and you really can't watch the drills that closely because they're way on the other side of the field but I, I see the sled moving up and down over there and I see the guys breaking the huddle and driving the sled and I think that's great great uh, technique teaching I think it's better than just hitting shields you know shields don't put any pressure against you you got to learn to get off the football and drive your legs to drive somebody backwards and I think this strengthens your legs it forms a lot of pride and, and conditioning in the unit that you work with, and I love seeing that. Uh, as far as uh, a couple of other things I noticed, uh, the running game, they are working on it more than I've seen them work on it before. Uh, they actually are running a lot of plays in there. I see them working the toss several times. They're still running it to the open side. I just don't believe in that, but they do, and if they believe in it and make it go, that's great. But uh, I see them actually trying to run the ball, and they're spending a lot of times in different situations on running the football. A lot of different uh, guys are having an opportunity to prove who they are, who the best running backs are right now. I can't say, but three of them are hurt. And uh, But I have an opinion on who I think is an every-down player, and we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I, I like to see that happening when you're actually running the football and making it happen. They're throwing the ball also to running backs, which I like. I didn't. I don't believe I've ever seen them throw the ball this much to running backs in certain situations, not only in the flat, but over the middle and dump-offs when the backers are deep and putting the running back in space. I think that's great to put a running back in space where he can use his athletic ability to try to break a tackle or make a big gain out of it. So I like that. As far as the quarterbacks, uh, uh, reading the secondaries, uh, the secondary is getting better. Uh, it's forcing the quarterbacks to get better. I think Seymour and Brown and some of these younger corners. Now, Brown's not a younger corner, but I see them getting better. Subin Craven's getting better. Demetrius Wright, I think, is having a good fall camp along with Bailey. He's getting better every day as far as learning the position that he should be playing, not only on this level but on the new level. I see great freshman efforts out there, which I can't get into now. I'll use the whole segment on this. (laughs) But one thing I do see that I think that needs to be improved. So I give you the positive, but then I also critique what I think needs to be 
happening. I think that the offensive huddle, they take too much time in the offensive huddle describing the play they want to run. Either they're teaching it on the field, and they shouldn't be teaching it on the field. They should be teaching it in the meetings and then perform it on the, on the field. Uh, they don't get as many plays in as what they should during a period of time. They do too much talking, too much teaching on the field. The defense sits and waits, and I sit and wait. Everyone sits and waits. You don't get enough turns in, I don't think, when you're teaching on the field. What you do on the field is you run your plays, then you teach off the videos and your meetings, and you speed it up and you get more turns. I don't think they're getting enough turns in their offensive uh, uh, competition drills against the defense. All right. Uh, well, that's a good assessment of what's going on. Maybe we can jump into some questions, and then we can kind of get back any other thoughts you have on what you saw at practice, and we can get into those. But um, Earl in West L.A. has the first one. And he said there, last week there was a lot of positive talk about the defensive front seven. After a week or so of fall camp, how would you assess the quarterback positions? Any of the players start to shine or show signs of moving ahead of the group? Um, thanks for doing such a great job. That's Earl in West L.A. I know you just kind of talked about it a little bit, but maybe you can share some more thoughts. Now, is this question about the secondary or is yeah. it about the front seven? Secondary? Yeah, so, I mean, the front seven, he's, he's heard some good things, but just, I think the question for him is what's going on with the secondary. Well, I, I really do believe this, and here's what I was telling um, Aaron Taylor, who was out there, who's going to be broadcasting the game, uh, the Hawaii game for uh, CBS Sports. We were talking about it, and I said, you know, one thing about the cornerbacks here at USC, I said, you know, they're going against probably, I think, the two or three best receivers. Or There are great receivers in the country, but every day they're working against great receivers. Darius Rogers is a great receiver. And by the way, I want to mention I've taken a good look at Stevie Mitchell out there, and I tell you, Stevie is a good-looking player, and I watched him in high school. He is a great player. He's a great player. So he is a, a player of the future along with a lot of these other young players. I don't want to forget him when we talk about receivers because – He's a receiver, and he's basically redshirting because of his injury. But Blackwell and Flournoy and, and Aguilar just goes on and on and on, along with the defensive or the top tight ends in the country. I think these kids, Grimble, I think, is really having a good fall camp. He's running hard, and they're covering man-to-man, a lot of man-to-man coverage, which I really like them working. Now, if you can cover Aguilar or try to, you can color – cover some of these other receivers that USC has, you've got to get better because everybody's not going to have those type of receivers. Now, they're going to have great receivers, but they're not going to have the deep ball, the short ball, all the threats that these, these receivers put on you. So I said that these receivers have got to mature, and they've got to mature quickly, but you couldn't have a better thing to mature too and they work with you, and that's great receivers. You're not going to all of a sudden not see them during the week, and all of a sudden you're going to see them on Saturday. So these guys are going to see what they're going to see on Saturday and not any better than these. So I think that Seymour has really come along. I'm very surprised at how fast he's improved. He's getting to be physical, too. I watch him during some of the drills as far as tackling drills, and he, he's starting to get more physical, and he's bigger than what I thought he is. He's gained some weight. I think uh, Brown is, is looks like he has a lot of confidence. I don't want to talk about the safeties, but I think you have four great safeties. I really think that your safety position is, is really great inside with the players we talked about. As far as some of the other corners, I haven't been able yet to evaluate them as much as the starters, but I think that secondary will be better than what our concerns were in the spring. 
my concern in the spring was if you're going to play man, you better get to the quarterback in a hurry. And I think they're working on that with the front seven. I think some of their linebackers are quick. I think one thing that you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of people try to run at the linebackers. Whenever you have a defense that swarms and runs from sideline to sideline, you run straight ahead. So you take that speed away from them. You see how physical they can be. So that's something that they're going to have to really get ready to do. And they're going to have to defend on their nose tackle woods and their two defensive ends to really penetrate and really knock somebody back off the ball so they can't get the play started. But otherwise, right now, from what I've seen in the secondary, I would say that they've improved a lot from the spring, and they've still got a lot of time to improve more. All right. Uh, let's go. Terrian had a question. Um, Coach, I find it interesting that different things are done uh, during each practice session. When you were coaching, how did you and your staff determine what would be done at each practice session? How far in advance would the planning be? And do you think that the application of computers and their technology has changed this process? No, there's certain things you have to work on. And you have a itinerary or a plan for every single day from the first day of practice all the way through game, the first game. You've got to get certain things in and you've got to work on certain things. You've got to spend so much time on it to make sure you're good at it. So you have a schedule of what you're supposed to work on. We did our practice schedules way in advance. So we knew we did not forget something we needed to work on, whether it's two-minute offense, goal line offense, whatever it could be, winning a football game by just ball control. The whole thing is in a schedule for the fall camp so that when you go to Hawaii or whoever your opening game is, you've prepared for almost every situation, whether it's an onside kick, if it's a special team. So all these different things you're going to face, you've got to work on it. Like you see them working on PAT block yesterday by putting their big guys, Chad Wheeler and and Banner in the middle, and they're saying, you could hear him saying, you're 6'9", you're 6'7", jump up high. He's got to kick the ball hard. Drive him back and jump up high. You've got to go through all those type of drills so that if you need it, you're able to have it ready to go. Whether So you have a schedule. You have a practice schedule. You go through the schedule that you've made up during your staff meetings, and you make sure you cover all these things. Now, sometimes one phase might not be at the level you expect it to be. So you've got to go back and maybe lengthen a period and work on it again so that you're satisfied. So if you're needed to use it, you feel confident in its, uh, in its, uh, the, the, the preparation you've done with it. All right. Um, we're going to go next to Earl in West L.A. He says, I really enjoy the insightful commentary and passion of Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, last week, Coach Harvey Hyde said the Trojans had three key games this year. I think this was actually two weeks ago. Arizona State, UCLA, and Notre Dame. I was surprised he did not consider Stanford in that key game mix. They're the defending conference champions, highly regarded in the preseason polls, and we've lost four straight to them. Was this an oversight? How does Coach Hyde feel about the USC-Stanford matchup? What do you think, Coach? Well, I thought about it when the show was over. I said, you know, I forgot to mention Stanford. I'll tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much for bringing it up, so I want to stand corrected on that. It was just an oversight. I was wound up going at it, and I didn't have a schedule in front of me. And how can I forget Stanford, who I think is possibly the potentially the best team in the country next to Alabama? I really do. I really think that uh, they are great. If you played Stanford against Ohio State right now in the opening game, I'd take Stanford. I know they got Braxton Miller. I know they got all those people back there in the Big Ten. 
but Stanford is really a well-coached football team. We'll see what happens uh, in the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 is a better conference uh, than a lot of people give it credit for. I think they're probably, I would say, maybe the second toughest conference, or they're tied with the Big 12 for the second toughest conference in college football. And uh, Stanford is a game you can't look past. The game is at USC, so I apologize for that. That is not a game that they can look past. They've got to play that game, and it's time that they, you know, win that football game. But that football game right now is uh, a game that's way down the line. We've got to start with the Hawaii game. I pointed out those other games as games that are games that you got to try to find a way to win. Even if you lost to Stanford, I got you going 11-1, and one, okay? So that's what I was trying to emphasize when I was talking about those games. They're big games, but the other games are games you just got to be better and win those football games and then play for the big game against, you know, teams that you have to really get ready to play for. And then I tell you, team, you better not take for granted, and that's Oregon State. I'll tell you, Oregon State is going to be a tough challenge for the Trojans up there on a Friday night. Very tough challenge. No, I agree with you. That's that's always a tra- that's always a trap game uh, for USC. We'll see how the Trojans handle that. But uh, again, that's down the road. We'll wait to see what happens with that one. We do have a, a voicemail question. I want to play this one for you, Coach. Here you go. Hi, this is a question for Coach Hyde. Uh, I am curious to know his thoughts on what goes into make the making of a great head football coach, like how many years experience, the type of jobs that someone needs leading up to the head coaching position, um, what uh, characteristics uh, somebody usually demonstrates to, to show that they're, they're ready for a shot at being a head coach, and um, maybe uh, some uh, instances of uh, his, own, his own history, like how he got to be a head coach, and uh, maybe some other uh, examples of uh, successful head coaches, like what their background was, how many years' experience it took, uh, things like that. Uh, just something I'm curious about, and I appreciate hearing his thoughts. Thanks, and fight on. And thank you for the question. Uh, it's a good question. It's one that I, I like talking about because I think a lot of people are becoming head football, head football coaches. I wonder how. I mean, as far as preparation, as far as being ready to be a leader, being ready to be a general, being ready to be the chairman of the board, you know, you're just not all of a sudden prepared for that because you're you're somebody. Uh, I think the best way you become a great football coach, head football coach, or just football coach is coach on every level. I think unless you've coached on the high school level and know what it's like and how prideful it is uh, to be on the high school level and how hard the parents work and the kids work. You never, ne- never know that experience. And you never make contact with those high school coaches and say, hey, we want to help this guy. He was a high school head coach, and he worked his way up, and he's now a college head football coach. And, and we, want to, we want to help him so that maybe one of us get that opportunity someday. You know, it's sort of discouraging when you're a coach, a great coach in high school or any level, and all of a sudden some video guy, and nothing against any of these guys, or somebody that's been around as a GA that was working in the computer room, all of a sudden becomes a, an assistant coach. You wonder, how did this happen? When you're a coach, I'm saying. A lot of times fans don't understand that. And that, 
and coaches resent that a little bit because this guy hasn't really paid his dues. He hasn't been to clinics. They don't know who he is. Uh, they don't feel as good as far as when he recruits because they don't even know him until he comes in and introduces himself and hands him a card. So, you know, I started by coaching football. I started uh, by coaching high school football in the Riverside area. After that, I had a chance to coach at the community college level as an assistant coach at first in 1965 at Pasadena City College. I went there, and fortunately I had an opportunity to take a job uh, that uh, somebody took a sabbatical leave, and I said, I'll take it. I don't care if I'm guaranteed a job or not. My wife was a school teacher, and I said, honey, you'll always be able to teach, and I'll always be able to coach. You might only have one salary, but we're going to make it. So I had a chance to meet all of the, the junior college coaches. At that time, they call them junior college coaches and gain their respect and, and go to coaches' uh, functions. And, and then uh, from passing the city college for two years, and we were fortunate to be successful there. We turned it around. Uh, we played in the Junior Rose Bowl. Then from there, I went to the University of Hawaii and I had a chance to be on the four-year level. Because of our success, uh, we were rewarded for it. We were young. I was maybe 25 years old. And I was the defensive coordinator at the University of Hawaii. Went over there. Don King gave me this opportunity. Went over, and the program had not won. And we turned it around and, and had a winning season. And uh, and I had my first head coaching opportunity because at Pasadena City College, the president made a coaching change there. The coach retired, uh, and he said, would you like to come back and be a head coach at Pasadena City College from the four-year level? I said, i got to be a head coach. I took uh, that job at Pasadena City College, became a head coach there, and uh, we established a, a real uh, winning program at Pasadena City College. We talked to every coach in the country that came through looking for quality players. We won national championships. We placed players all over the place. And we gained respect from the high school coaches and the four-year coaches. And I worked several years there, many years. I, I got a young start, but I was there many years until we had the opportunity and our idea to be asked to apply for. And I applied for the UNLV head football coaching position because I had worked with Jerry Tarkinian at Pasadena City College. And he recommended me to the athletic director because we both had great programs there. And I got the job at UNLV. And when I got the job at UNLV, I had coached on all levels. So it wasn't like I had to introduce myself to all these coaches. They knew who I was. I ran the streets with them. We played with, against each other. We went to clinics with each other. We sat in bars with each other. We got on tablecloths and drew X and O's all the time. We shared experiences. So at UNLV, I quickly put a staff together of people I respected who I have coached with and coached against. I brought in two head football coaches that I respected that I had a difficult time in beating. I brought in defensive coordinators that had experience in the in the Pac-10 at that time. I brought in a local coach. I had to have a coach on my staff that, of course, that had played at UNLV. So I brought in Wayne Nunley, who was our running back coach, and later on coach for the Chargers and coach for the Saints and coach for the Broncos. So I wanted to make myself surrounded with great players and great coaches. I wasn't intimidated with who was with my assistant coaches were. I, I was hoping that if we won enough, one of them would get my job at UNLV. And that way we would all get promoted. We'd all move on. The coaches would move on. The kids would move on. 
and we'd have a winning program. So in be, being a successful head coach, there's many ways that coaches become head football coaches. But I've always felt unless you know what it's like to coach on all these different levels and be in the fraternity and belong to the high school coaches association, junior college coaches association, it's difficult to have that close relationship when you walk in an office and everybody's standing in line and you run over and hug the head coach or you go directly into the principal's office because the principal is a former coach at that school that you know who he is and he takes you down to the gym or he takes that student out of that classroom because he knows who you are. Now, I went a long time on that, but I had to give you my opinion. Brian, I'm sorry. No, it's great stuff, Guy. I think it, a lot of people were curious about that and uh, get a little more background on Coach Harvey Hyde here, so that's cool stuff. But we, we appreciate you coming on, Coach, and uh, we'll let you get back to all your duties, but we wanted to uh, thank you again. We'll talk to you next week after we get a few more practices under our belt and get to check out the team a little bit more. Brian, thank you very much, and for everybody on there, have a great, great week. All right. Thanks very much, Coach. And we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. And uh, some big news, Dan, out of practice yesterday with uh, the quarterback race shrinking from three people now to two. Yeah, and that was pretty obvious as we were, you know, watching practice yesterday. And you thought, hmm, there's only two quarterbacks that are getting any reps. And, uh, and that was pretty – and Lane had, had already had that conversation with Max um, – uh, on Saturday, and um, it, it had to happen. I mean, you can't get enough reps for three guys. You just can't. I mean, you had to give Max enough in case he has to be uh, the backup. Uh, however, you know that might happen. You know, and you know to turn out that that there would be that, but you had to find out if he could be. And I think there's no question he could be. Uh, but now you have to find out who your who your starter is, and you don't want the other guy to feel like he didn't get a chance. So you pretty much have to reserve all of those uh, reps for the, the two guys that are, that are in the running for the, you know, for the starting job. Yeah. And uh, this, um, it, I, I mean, obviously we've been putting the QBR up and I, we're going to talk about that with the next question we got, but the, it's our quarterback rating system. And uh, we, we did it four years ago with Matt Barkley and Eric Corp and Mitch Mustaine. And we had Matt Barkley coming out on top. Of course, he ended up starting for four years. But if you go to uscfootball.com, you can kind of check that stuff out. We had uh, Cody Kessler ahead of, of Max Wittick and then uh, Max Brown kind of a distant third. But a lot of it was because he wasn't really getting any reps with the the regular team. He was kind of off on another field with the third-team offense and third-team defense. And I'm kind of glad yesterday Lane Kiffin finally made it official. We kind of all knew 
that Max Brown w- was out of it after you know the first couple of days or so, but now it's official. I, I think everyone got to focus a little bit more. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things about it is uh, uh, Max Wittick has really gotten better. He's addressed all of his issues, and uh, you know, had he not, I don't think it would have been that you know that much of a you know competition uh, because Cody has played really really well, uh, but Max is you know. He's uh, he not uh, trying to throw the ball through things. He's uh, taking what they give him. He's uh, checking down. He's uh, taking the ball and running with it. He's just not trying to you know use that big strong arm. So uh, he's really uh, he's really addressed all the things that you know people said you know this is this is an issue or this is an issue. And uh, you know I I really like where where Max is right now. Uh, I mean I think it's tough. Cody is just. Had you know a really, really good spring, you know, good summer, and then he's you know he's been awfully good in the fall. So um, I think the the QBR looks like it's got it's got it you know pretty much uh, where it is. I think they're both playing you know really well. And, and I wasn't kidding when I said I don't think if you took if you gave a numerical ranking to every big time quarterback in the country, let's say you know one to a hundred, and I don't know that you'd have any team in America that would have two quarterbacks who, if you put their rankings together, are better than these two kids. You know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you're going to have people who are, you know, where their number one guy is better than, you know, both the USC guys and then would would have a ranking, you know, better. But I'm not sure in the aggregate, if you take two and say, well, you know, compare our two with your two, uh, I'm not sure anybody's got two better than these two. Yeah, certainly. I mean, high school All-Americans, both of them, uh, both are probably the most impressive players in the their respective high school All-American games, national games. So certainly uh, so, so meaning there when you're talking about a couple of guys that are really talented coming in the program, just haven't really seen either of them prove themselves yet. So we'll we'll look forward to the battles that we yeah, have. I mean, and I think the difference, they haven't proved themselves, but I think they've both really improved. And that's the key. I mean, I think when people say, well, you know, they'll look at the two games that Max played last year and say, well, you know, and, and that's the issue, I think, for a lot of people is if they were where they were last year, we wouldn't be saying that, you know. And we, we've said that for a lot of guys, you know, when people say, you know, oh, who, you know, what about the fullback, you know, Jaleel Pinner, you know, all he did was play special teams or whatever. That's not where he is now. You know, if you go out there every day, you watch these kids, and you want to see, you know, where have they gone from spring to summer to now? And a kid like Jaleel Pinner or a kid like Buck Allen, for goodness sakes, uh, you know, they're in a a very different place. Chad Wheeler, how much of a different place is he in right now than, you know, the kid that only got through two weeks of spring ball and, you know, was – didn't really get to do anything as a freshman. So uh, that's, I think, where we're trying to, you know, and I think that's what the QBR does to the quarterbacks. It kind of brings it up to where are they right now, not so much where were they. All right. And then uh, we talked about the QBR, and that's our, our, our ranking system, our rating system. And Ben Fick had a question about that. He says that your decision to uh, – uh, qualitatively measure the QB battles way ahead of your competition. How interesting that Barkley was at the top of your QBR even after Corp had a strong spring. Uh, his ascension to number one not only 
it's not usually interpreted in that context. And, you know, it's true. We did have Barclay head, even though Corp won the, the battle in the spring, then hurt his knee. And, you know, Barclay took over and that was that. But he said, without disclosing the proprietary formula, we please disclose a list of the factors that are measured and considered. And, Dan, you can chime in, too. But essentially, we're trying to mimic what the NCAA formula for, for their quarterback rating is. And, uh, you know, we, we have to do it a little bit differently. and We try to explain it as best we can. In the QBR feature, you can see that, and it says, you know, we, we explain the formula, and uh, we basically take, instead of yardage, we do passes that are one, two, or three, short, medium, or long, and we have a little formula to kind of determine what the yardage would be. Um, you know, sacks are, are involved a little bit. You know, instead of putting sacks in there, we kind of count that as a uh, an incomplete pass, so you get a little bit of a ding on your QBR. It's not exactly the same formula as the NCAA uses, but it's all kind of an approximation. So it's it's more to compare guys with each other than to compare this number to what the NCAA uh, QB number uh, rating number is as well. So just a formula we kind of came up with, and um, it's a it's you know, we try to make it as easy as possible to collect the data watching on the practice field. We don't know the exact yardage. That's part of the reason we see a pass that it's about twenty yards. That's a long pass as opposed to. We we don't know if it's twenty three or, or twenty five. You know, it's it's we so we have to do approximations for all that. But the data is collected for all the quarterbacks. It was three. Now we're going to just collect it on two, uh, in the same way. And then we you can compare those numbers uh, afterwards. And Dan, I know you weren't around the last time we did this, but you might you know jump in and share your thoughts on what well, you've seen. And I think here. the the thing that that it that works about it is you count everything, and and they're in essentially you know the same situation now if you were trying to compare from you know a quarterback on one team to a quarterback on another you really couldn't do that but you know since they've you know made the commitment um to uh to pretty much you know rotate them give them equal reps give them equal you know this kind of thing uh uh then you get a pretty accurate you know ranking if you uh figure everything that they do i mean so by figuring everything that they do, and they're in, a, you know, situations where you know neither one of them is getting more reps with the first or with the second. They're rotating them, uh, you know, they're rotating them against defenses and that. So you get a pretty, you know, you get enough repetitions, you get enough, uh, you know, information input, uh, you get a pretty good result. You know, as long as you're keeping track of it, you know, accurately. And uh, Chris Chris Watson is certainly you know, been working on that and talking about it and looking at it. And um, I think, you know, it does a pretty nice job. All right. Uh, let's, well, so we got a bunch of questions. We'll try to get through them all and uh, um, go as quickly as we can and, and get you guys all the information we can can from out of practice. Uh, we had a voicemail question that went kind of long, but I'll just read you uh, essentially what it was. Jay wanted to know about Junior Palme. I think he actually sent this in before Lane Kiffin talked about this week, but maybe give an update on Junior Palme. Well, uh, got the uh, you know the uh, charges were dismissed, uh, and I know that the issue has always been, you know, uh, a party and you know what was the nature of the you know some of the stuff that Junior had, and you know you hear stories where they're talking about you know finding and trying to get it back to the right person and the policeman who, uh, you know, was involved in the case, wasn't available, so they couldn't, you know, proceed with the charges. Will they refile them? Nobody seems to know. Uh, it's not one of those things that we seem to have a real good fix on, you know, 
did something happen? You know, was it a, you know, what kind of a deal was it for, for junior? Uh, we don't know. We, we know there were some issues in terms of, uh, you know, what was going on in terms of, uh, you know, not only being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but in kind of wrong circumstances, it, it was kind of pushing, pushing the, uh, you know, the limits, let's say, of team rules. And uh, it's clear now with, with what Lane said this week that USC's moved on. They wish Junior well. Uh, he will not be coming back no matter how the case is resolved legally, that, uh, that they've just kind of gone their separate ways and, and they're just uh, there's not going to be, a, a, you know, a place for, for Junior. And that hurts. I mean, it, it's a clear decision that you know USC can't replace his scholarship that's one of the the uh the real whammies double hits whammies whatever you want to call it of this NCAA sanctions are uh those are irreplaceable scholarships that's uh nothing they can do about that so uh that's a tough hit that's you know we wish Junior well but uh but he's not going to be part of this program all right uh let's go JC and the OC had a question um on the quarterbacks as well he mentioned uh he said he read an article and it was from a a a publication that we're not a real big fan of dan that doesn't do a lot of uh reporting it's just most they don't have quotes they just kind of comment on what other people report but he wanted to know and this this comes up a lot anyway it's not just from that article about uh max wittick allegedly uh wanting to transfer uh if he's not named the starter obviously it's now pared down to just the two quarterbacks um, he wanted to know what our take was on uh, transfers, of quarterbacks transferring, and it, you know, as far as the future goes, and and redshirting and all that kind of stuff. That's JC from the OC wanted to know. Well, I think uh, Max did come back, and I did not hear him say this, but others who did after the first uh, night when he was asked about it at, at first, and, and both quarterbacks asked the same day, and Cody said, "Absolutely not. He's here to compete." You know, you know, not even thinking about that. Max said, you know, well, that might be, you know, when I uh, something a bridge to cross, you know, if and when, blah blah blah. Well, then I think, you know, he thought about it, and the next day, someone else asked him, you know, about that quote, and he said uh, he probably didn't mean it that way, and it was one of those things he hadn't thought it, you know, completely through, and it said pretty much the same thing as Cody that he wasn't looking to you know take off if uh, if he lost out in the quarterback competition yeah he has to think maybe it's a possibility I mean Rick Neuheisel when he sat down with us the other day said you know any coach in the world that's one of the things you're thinking about if you've got you know three pretty good quarterbacks you've got to be thinking you know when we when we make the choice what happens to at least one of the other guys, you know, where, and he said, it's just the way, you know, the way it is. And so uh, I, I think you'd have to think about it, but it, it looks like, you know, Max is, you know, in this for the, uh, you know, the long run. It's a tough call because if he would leave, if either one of them would leave this fall and go somewhere else uh, for their transfer year, which would be their red shirt sophomore year, neither one of them has a red shirt year left. So if they left and and spent a year somewhere else, they'd have two years. If they stay this year, uh, this is their redshirt sophomore year. Then if they transferred, 
they would miss a year, and then they'd have one year left. So if either, you know, if the quarterbacks, if they stay, basically, and then transfer, would have just another year of competition uh, after their transfer year of sitting out. So it's kind of a big decision, uh, unless they, you know, would go to a, say, um, uh, Villanova, Delaware, or whatever, one of the f- uh, football championship subdivision, uh, you know, teams, uh, and then they could play right away and play two years. But uh, and it's a, it's a, it's an, I don't know, you know, how you, how everybody evaluates that. I mean, most of the time you think, hey, you better have two quarterbacks. So uh, Stanford started with one quarterback last year and finished up with another one and, you know, finished up in the Rose Bowl. Uh, so um, we'll see. I, I just think it's something you have to think about, and I don't think it's something you can say, oh, it's not a factor at all. It's a, it's a consideration, and it should be. All right. Uh, let's go. We have a voicemail question for you. Um, let's play that one for you now. Uh, hi, this is the burning question that I have is, uh, you know, the thing that undermined USC a lot last year was uh, um, the failure of the backups. You know, I'm specifically thinking of, you know, the Stanford game where um, where the center went down and Hobby went in. Could you tell me what the weakest positions are as far as backups go? And particularly, I, I really like the idea of drafting or uh, um, recruiting Cyrus Hobby. How's he doing? Uh, I'd like to hear uh, that line of thinking by you. Thank you. Huh? The weakest position. Huh? That's <laughs> always uh, <laughs> bad news. Always uh, pushes out good news. I guess. Uh, let's see. That's an interesting question. I mean, it, we've got there's more depth in both the offense and defensive lines than I think anybody thought would possibly be. Uh, Two freshmen have come in. We, I, I think we all thought inside linebacker would be, be the, the thinnest place with three guys, uh, Hayes Pillard, Lamar Dawson, and Anthony Sorrell. And then Michael Hutchings comes in, and he's bigger and stronger, and everybody knew he had a great background coming in out of De La Salle. And you say, oh, okay, that's a four-man rotation for two spots. That's pretty good. And then Quentin Powell comes in from Florida, and he's bigger than we anybody thought he would be, rangier, taller. And while we thought, okay, he's an outside guy, no, they're planning at the will uh, on that weak side, uh, inside, and he's a tough kid. So now we, uh, there's, we, we see five linebackers there uh, for two spots. So that position is, is more fortified than I think we would have ever guessed. Uh, Backing up, uh, you know, you got Jabari Ruffin and uh, Scott Starr, both at, you know, 240 pounds, backing up the two outside linebackers, Morgan Breslin and Devon Kennard. So that position is, is a little more stocked, uh, enough so that Kevin Green, you know, can go over and, and fill in at, at tight end. So uh, with Kevin Green, and they really found a place for the walk-on Sean Sullivan, who's uh, – by way of Wyoming and, and Mount San Antonio Junior College and Orange Lutheran, and he's uh, he's getting reps. So that gives you five five tight ends now. Uh, I guess we're we're uh, we're looking at six tailbacks, four of whom are, on, are rehabbing, and they're still, you know, when, with Buck Allen and Trey Madden, you still got pretty good depth there. Uh, three quarterbacks, that's pretty good depth. 
probably uh, you know five or six deep at safety. Got more bodies than that at, at corner. What kind of you know what you're going to end up with in terms of uh, you know a pecking order and and rotation and all that? I don't know, but uh, I'll tell you what. If I had to pick the the least depth, it's probably going to be kick returners because I I would think Marquise Lee now is out of the running for uh, kickoff return and maybe even punt return. So that leaves you. No, that leaves you. Uh, you know, let's see. Devon Fournoy is hurt. Uh, DJ Morgan is kind of still, you know, battling that knee. So that that leaves you kind of Nelson Aguilar, and I'm not sure who else. <laughs> so it might be the kick returners, uh, punt return, kickoff return, might be, uh, and you know, wide receiver. It's going to be it's close. I mean, five guys and. Sometimes they'll be playing three, and uh, and two of them were hurt today. Even though Devon Flournoy, you know, came back and uh, and played through it, but um, but might be wide receiver, might be kick returner. Uh, after that, more depth than we ever probably could have thought this team would have. All right. Uh, thanks for that question there, and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think some of the depth is going to depend on injuries and stuff as well. Um, you know, we saw four on uh, on Sunday. We saw four of the, the well, I guess, six or so scholarship running backs yeah. going to rehab. So, I mean, if, if those guys are all hurt, then I think that would be a, a, a spot that's tough. And I guess the other option, uh, if you want to throw in the other running back position, fullback, one of those, we've got, you know, we've got one of those two uh, that we see out there. That's Soma. The new two probably uh, – did a little more today than he has, you know, all year. But right now, uh, Jaleel, you know, Pinner is uh, is in at fullback. That doesn't mean though you don't have somebody that could could move over there if all the rest of those guys, you know, uh, you know got healthy. You got a Ty Isaac, you got a, a Buck Allen, uh, maybe Trey Madden, although he may be really too valuable, uh, you know, to line up at fullback. But uh, they have options, you know, like today, you know, with the offensive line. And, uh, and after they decide that Chad Wheeler really, you know, is doing a pretty good job at left tackle, then you got the ability when uh, Andre Walker comes back to uh, put him in another spot. And it's that kind of flexibility that they didn't have last year. I mean, you know, they didn't almost ever have five offensive linemen ready to go any one game. Uh, certainly didn't have five healthy ones on any one game because, you know, Colin Holmes really wasn't healthy for a single game all year. So um, uh, the numbers game, even though the scholarships are, I don't know, 67 maybe now, uh, the numbers at positions when you start going through them are significantly better than they were last year. Uh, when when there were just no competition and there were very few options uh, at most positions. Uh, all right, let's see. We got a couple more to get to. Julian wants to know. He said USC did a really uh, did a lot last year uh, and mostly looked great. Wow, that's a different opinion. Uh, he said, in fact, it seemed they could have won every game last year. The losses mostly came as a result of self inflicted wounds, penalties, and bad mistakes. 
What are they doing to rem- remedy all of this going into the seasons? Are there reasons to feel optimistic that they will improve sufficiently in this area? That's from Julian. Well, every day of practice, we don't see the kinds of mistakes we saw last year. I mean, they'll go. I mean, obviously they had a little bit of a long leash from the officials uh, at the first scrimmage, but 102 plays and one penalty. Um, that's uh, that's not even on the same planet as last year's team was. I mean, they just and you don't see a lot of jumping. You don't see a lot of guys. Uh, a lot of it is just uh, guys, you know, you know, in their own minds with one another, don't want to let one another down. And they're really into it. I mean, when you are on the sidelines, they are really into the games. They're really into the 11-on-11 stuff and really into the competition. They just seem more mentally ready, uh, you know, to do what, they, what they, they're being asked to do. Uh, I think practices are organized better. I think they're run better. They're crisper. They're, you know, the kids seem to really – understand why why they're doing what they're doing and uh, how they're how they want them to do it uh you know i don't you know i don't know i mean is it you know the quarterbacks that that much of a difference uh i mean you know last year it's obvious something wasn't you know going well between the quarterback and the and the play caller and the offensive line uh there just was a lot of uncertainty and and a lot of you know people who just didn't seem to think they knew what they were doing they all i mean there's not a day where it looks like they don't know what they're doing they're very seldom are you seeing the quarterback having to send somebody uh you know they're lined up at the wrong side or they're lined up in the wrong place or, or they're not going into motion when they're supposed to and all that it just seemed, you know, we, you know, we've heard that Clay Helton did a great job streamlining the playbook. Whatever they've done, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, geared to uh, making them just look like they know what they're doing and look smarter. And uh, a lot of that probably is they just, you know, they, there's kind of a sense of they really want to make up for last year. I mean, I, you know, everybody says, oh, we're not, we're not thinking about last year. We don't want to talk about. It. Last year's a big part of of uh, where this team is. They really didn't like having to live with last year, and I think a lot of them, you know, feel like they know, you know, what what went into last year, and uh, a lot of that was uh, not knowing what they were doing, not being certain about, you know, all the things that that you need, and and we're just not seeing any of that uh, kind of uh, uncertainty uh, this year. All right, and then we want to go to Kevin in South Orange County, and he says he's been watching preseason NFL football. Sorry for that, Kevin. I know I, I love football too, but it's just it's hard to watch sometimes. Uh, he said he noticed something interesting. All the grief that Coach Kiffin gets for his play calling sheet. Do you realize that Gary Kubiak of the Texans, Mike McCarthy of the Packers, Sean Payton of the Saints, Jim Harbaugh of the 49ers, Andy Reid of the Chiefs all have their heads in their sheets? during the games. Well, Lane Kiffin is far from those guys, uh, and they're just a small sample size. Folks should get off his back. He does need to get more connected to the D and the team in general during the games, but it's possibly successful doing what he's doing. Well, there is one difference. Uh, uh, the NFL guys are working with NFL players. They're working with 30-year-old guys instead of 20-year-old kids. 
they're also they've got those guys 40 hours a week and they have the ability to really make those kinds of you know adjustments and and go for those you know plays that you know you know they're pretty far down on the play sheet and they've got a whole lot of assistant coaches they got more assistant coaches than they do you know they have in college so you're talking about a different kind of a world and you know you're you're not uh probably called on to be the same kind of emotional core of of a of a team in in the NFL as you are in college uh, i mean it's and it's working on the margins in the NFL you know where they basically figure you know everybody's kind of got the same chance to put a team together and you know with you know revenue sharing and the draft and all of that and that it's only on the margins and the smarter coaches and the more organized guys you know can take advantage of that where in college you, you know you're it's more of a you know it's a Pete Carroll if you look at in some ways it was a Pete Carroll world or a you know a Nick Saban world where the head coach is more than just the play caller and so I'm not sure that um that the direct comparison now, Lane would not disagree. Lane, you know, runs it in his mind. This is a, this is being run as a as a professional, you know, football team. I mean, I thought today it was interesting when he said, "I sat down with Cody last night, and we talked about." Uh, or excuse me, I sat down with Max Brown last night. And we talked about, you know, you know, we were just going to go with the two guys, and he said he took it like a professional, <laughs> and that's how Lane, I think, sees. You know what he's doing. He's he's looking at the professional, you know, model, the pro football model. He's looking at a pro football offense, and um, uh, whether that's doable at this level is the question. Now, I mean, Lane decided, and with Monty, that it wasn't doable on defense at this level. Uh, that they had to go a different direction, and and I think there's no question. That, that that was their decision. You couldn't do what they wanted to do in 20 hours a week with college kids. So whether that's a uh, a good comparison or not, we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, we're not really sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's it's a good point there that it's it is used and it's it's more of an NFL system. Now, can it work with college guys? We've seen it work before. We've seen it have some problems. So I think that's the the big question. If they're there. really good. It can work <laughs> if your players are really good. It, it, those plays you call doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> if they if they're really good and they do them right, you know, then then it's a good model. Talent but, seems uh, to make up for a lot of stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah. If they, uh, you know, I mean, we can all call those plays. If the plays you call work, you don't have to go down that you know place you you know all that far. Uh, so we'll see how how that works. I mean, there are times. You can get lost in that a little bit, and and, and I thought Rick Neuheisel, again, head coach and been a quarterback and been in the NFL and been in you know, college, said one of the problems you've got is you've got the two schools of thought. You're there as the play caller. You're also the game manager, and where the game manager might have you know the clock and you know down to the exact second, the play caller might be thinking this is the time to run that one play that we've been thinking about, and it's going to be there. And then the problem is, if it isn't there, you may not have enough time on the clock for that next play. And so you, there are, you know, uh, 
conflict between the play caller and the uh, and the game manager, and and that's that's an issue I think when a head coach in college, and it's not you know Lane. If you looked at the uh, last year, the championship game, SEC championship game, both uh, Georgia's Mark Richt and uh, Alabama's Nick Saban both had an absolute boneheaded play in the last minute. You know, in terms of um, in terms of the clock. So, you know, it's not Lane, just Lane. It's uh, you know, it, it can be an issue. It's it's a difficult thing uh, to control every part of the game, and. Uh, and you know, it's hard. It's really, really, really hard to do. So you know, we'll see how uh, how this works. But but it's not. I don't think the NFL model. And the other thing about, like Lane said, I wish it were the NFL model in one way, because you know the NFL coaches can talk to those players uh, through radio. They've got radios in their helmets, you know, for the quarterbacks. Uh, life is pretty good. You know, I think Lane would 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 go for that. Yeah, that would be a nice advantage if <laughs> if you could communicate. Cause it, it's hard to communicate the, you know, especially the NFL type plays, communicate that in uh, from the sideline. It's a it's a challenge for these guys to do. Well, I mean, and they say even just little things like um, in spring game, one of the problems they had was T. Martin became the um, uh, the signaler, and they were reading his you know digits differently than they had been reading Justin Mesa who had been doing it previously. And so there's all that because then the quarterbacks have to translate those numbers into the, uh, uh, into the wristband and, you know, find that right page and, and the right number of the play. I mean, it's, it's more complex than I probably would like to see it. I mean, and it'll never be like Oregon where they've got a one word, you know, for the play and everybody's got it memorized and they have to call one word out and boom, they're, they're gone. You can't do that when you're running a pro-style offense. There are too many, you know, variables that you have to, you know, set up. But uh, but there is a kind of an attraction to uh, a one-word play call. Yeah, and I mean, certainly there's advantages to doing that where players are, if they're running an NFL-type system in college, you could say that, you know, a Robert Woods and a Matt Barkley are maybe more prepared for jumping to the NFL than, uh, you know, a, a receiver or a quarterback from Oregon might be. So, I mean, it, there's... Yeah, I don't it, think there's any question about that. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, got a little more than a full week of fall camp in there. We got to see a lot more than we talked about in the podcast last week. And we'll get even more. Maybe next week? Who knows? Maybe we'll have a starting quarterback name. We'll have to see. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So, we got a lot of, a lot of work this week. Uh, double days uh, today and... Wednesday, and uh, that'll be the end of double days anyway. Yeah. But uh, I think we'll get a lot done this week. I think we'll, I think we have a pretty good, pretty good idea. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. We appreciate it, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, we'll be back again next week with more USC football information. Stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 